Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. Not only has he received three Tony Awards for producing the best musicals in The Heights, Avenue Q, and Rent, he also went to school with Barack Obama in Hawaii. Welcome Kevin McCollum to the podcast. Hey everyone, my guest today is the three-time Tony Award-winning producer, Kevin McCullen. Kevin has received the Tony Award for Best Musical for In the Heights, Avenue Q, and Rent, which also won the Pulitzer Prize. He is currently represented on Broadway with the Olivier Award-winning The Play That Goes Wrong, which I love so much, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. He produced Something Rotten, Hand to God, Motown the Musical, The Drowsy Chaperone, which won five Tony Awards, and Baz Luhrmann's production of Puccini's La Boheme. He also produced Title of Show. He produced the touring and Broadway productions of Irving Berlin's White Christmas, the off-Broadway hit De La Guarda, the recent hit revival of West Side Story, and Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. In 1995, Kevin co-founded The Producing Office and has since created Alchemation, a theatrical and media producing company to New York. Mr. McCollum was trained at the University of Cincinnati College, Conservatory of Music. He has earned his master's degree in film producing from the Peter Stark program at the University of Southern California, and he received the Robert Whitehead Award for Outstanding Commercial Theater Producing. And I am so honored 
Are you awake? Well, Are I you still with us? I just want to make sure everyone's still listening. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to bore you. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm a guy Kevin, with wake a, up. I'm a guy with a phone. That's how I describe myself, um, trying to he, make shows. So we have two versions of your bio. One is that and a guy with a phone trying to make shows. I think I think that one's the most succinct and, and describes me the best. But you were making shows before you even had a phone in your pocket. That's true, because I'm that old before there were cell phones. Uh, <laughs> you have the first cell phone, the big suitcase yeah, cell phone. Like Maxwell Smart. I was born and raised in Hawaii, and uh, uh, I grew up around a TV studio because my mother worked for CBS affiliate. Ah. So I grew up around sort of, and and the thing about Hawaii, too, is we would get the rights to do the shows first. So as a child, my mom performed as well, and I would go to the uh, studio, not the studio, I'd go meet her after work, and then we'd go to do theater together at a place called HCT, Honolulu Community Theater, which is now Diamond Head Theater. I think about, I think it did celebrate its uh, 75th year. And it's, uh, in Hawaii, there's a lot of artists who went there, who lived in New York in the 40s and 50s, and before it became a state, went to Hawaii. So growing up in Hawaii, I was born in 62, I ended up working with a lot of Broadway talent that made Hawaii their home. And, so uh, they were like expats in yeah, a way. And, and also at the same time, Hawaii would get the rights because shows wouldn't tour to Hawaii. Right. Too expensive. Right. So we would have to create. I think we were the first people to get the license for Sondheim's Follies and Candide and Bernstein's Mass. So I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, and, and the arts were very important to the Hawaiian culture and storytelling because the Hawaiian culture is based on myth. And uh, so I didn't realize through osmosis, I was really in a very theatrical place. So the name McCullen doesn't sound Hawaiian to me, which doesn't mean that it isn't. <laughs> well, no, it's McCullum yeah. and it's Irish. And my mother met a man and I had married him uh, in 1960 and I was born in 1962. They were divorced in 1963. Great, great. And uh, he converted to Judaism to marry my mother, who was named Susan Goldberg. So uh, she was from Winnetka, Illinois, my mom. Um, How did she end up in Hawaii? She loved it. Um, she just loved it. She went, I think she went to the University of Michigan and she went there once on a ski trip, I'm told. Because there was skiing in, in, on the Big Island on Mauna Kea. Okay. And uh, just decided when she, you know, wanted to live somewhere, she realized, I think I want to make my home in Hawaii. So she did. And uh, and unfortunately, she passed away when I was 14. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she died of breast cancer at the age of 40. So I then moved to Chicago to live with my aunt and uncle, who was my mother's sister and her husband. And they had two daughters. And I'm very close with all of them. And I have a great family. And... Was that a more traditional Jewish upbringing once you yeah, were there? Yeah, Upper North Shore of Chicago. Uh, my uncle was the president of the temple, okay. Am Shalom. And, you know, my I've developed a little shtick about my last name, if it were uh, such the case, in that McCullum. I know it doesn't sound Jewish, right. but it is in the prayer. Yes. Baruch Atadonai Melakalam. It's right there. And it probably means someone with a guy who likes to make shows. I think it's a guy with a phone in yeah, his pocket. Yeah, a guy with a phone I know, in his pocket. So I know if I looked in the Hebrew English dictionary. It's a story to talk about uh, my origin story. But I'm an only child, so I think part of why I make shows, and I, my kids tease me about this. I have two kids and my wife. They tease me a little bit because I keep saying, well, I have an orphan mentality. You know, I'm always mm. searching for family. Right. And they're like, well, what about us? You know, and of course, well, of course. But, you know, just when you're a child and you have like, how do I create a sense of normalcy, especially when you lose a parent? Sure. Uh, and it's, it's, it, I have to say the the healing and redemptive nature of musical storytelling has really 
been something I've just had a passion for. I never did it for money. I did it actually so that I could have a group of people to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Who loved really. what you loved. Who, who, who were passionate about something. Yeah. And I think that is, you know, and especially in today's world, um, I think it has served me because it's, it's never been something I've, it's always been an inside out uh, emotional journey for me rather than, oh, I want the show to be a hit, therefore I have to do this. It's like, no, I really care about these characters and if I do it right, maybe it'll be a hit. And, so, and, and that, that is, I think, served me in, in what I do yeah, for living. Yeah, because when I read your bio, the one that isn't just the guy with the cell phone in his pocket, there certainly is a through line that all of your shows, aside from them being award-winning, are really lasting. Which brings me to a point, part of why I do this podcast really is, and with over 100 episodes at this point, an opportunity for me to say thank you to all of the artists and people in the world who have been so impactful on my life in so many ways. And I would say to a person, and this would be from your friend Brian Darcy James to Ben Platt to Julianne Moore to Anthony Rapp, who's been on the show, to every single Broadway artist, um, at one point in the conversation, Rent is mentioned. Rent was the thing that Aside from all the wonderful cast albums they listened to on their bed as a kid, Rent was the thing that whether it came to their small town, if you're Michael Urey, or if you were in it, like Anthony Rapp and Daphne Rubin-Vega, whether you're me growing up in Teaneck, whether you're Andrew Rannells, who auditioned for it 700 times, there is not a single performer who's been on this podcast who hasn't talked about what Rent meant to them. And whenever I have someone on the show who is in Rent, I'm always cautious. Is it something they want to talk about? Is it something they're tired of talking about? And to a person, they say, we will never tire of talking about it. A, because it is a way to keep Jonathan Larson and his legacy alive beyond the show, but just how much they want to pay tribute to Jonathan. And also, I think Daphne, and I'm going to misquote her, but she said something like, I am aware of the impact that Rent has had on the world. It is almost too overwhelming for me to think about, but so I say to that, thank you. Well, thank you. I I think one of the most important gifts for an artist or someone who works with artists is the the, uh, notion of gratitude. And... um, I think one of the things, again, given my own childhood and and loss in my childhood and then losing Jonathan on the eve of our first off-Broadway preview, that in the theater, we are in an endeavor to create things that evaporate the moment they're created. And that is humbling. That is uh, remarkable. But mostly... It is the ethic of every every single nanosecond that we exist, and it is all fleeting. And losing Jonathan was not fair. It was sorrowful, and out of that sorrow um, came an ethic in me, more than ever, to be an advocate for new writers. And also to make sure they have health insurance. Mm. And uh, uh, no I will say, thing. if you look at those shows, I'm going to name them all. I'm going to name, and again, I I don't talk about this a lot, but since you brought it up, this is something that, you know, I think it's why I get approached with a lot of new work. Because Rent, 
Avenue Q, In the Heights, Drowsy Chaperone, High Fidelity, which was a flop. Mm, I know, but I love Tom and Amanda so much. Well, that's my point. Yeah. Something Rotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and Della Guarda, which I also produced. But those musicals, all first-time writers. Those musicals, all first-time directors. Mm-hmm. So, for Broadway. And so I, I think I, I, am, I am very open, and um, it is a, an ethic and a, and a mission of mine. You know, I know people don't think commercial producers have mission statements, mm-hmm. but I kind of do, which mm-hmm. is I'm very interested in the writers who have yet to have an advocate to help them get to Broadway. And I would like to do all I can if the material rises to it. And also, oftentimes, I will really get involved in a show with a concept and one or two songs, not so a early, finished, early not a finished process, story. And then yeah. I will work with the authors and not-for-profits and other regionals and, you know, workshops and try to develop something. And I have a few of those going on right now, as well as I've started to work with brands like Motown. And uh, also I have a relationship with Fox Studios, not Fox News, I want to be very clear, <laughs> but with the film studio uh, regarding some of their titles. And we've announced uh, Devil Wears Prada, that Elton John is writing. And that's that's exciting to work with brand um, as well as find uh, as much talent that is established and not established. So did you trust. look through Fox's catalog and go, okay, Devil Wears Prada Perfect opportunity, Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, how do you do? You sort of go through. I did. I did. I don't know. Maybe and Mrs. I, Doubtfire I, isn't them, but no, but, it is. It okay. Is. Okay. Uh, but I did, and the great news was the studio was also uh, anxious to work in a partnership. So mm-hmm. we've we've targeted around seven titles that we think over the next you know five years will be rolled out, and uh, we're working on them all. So it's an exciting time to work there. But at the same time, I'm working on new work that you've never heard of from people who have never written for Broadway, and uh, that's equally exciting. Yeah. It's a little harder. You have to start a little smaller. I can't just, you know, I could open Devil Wears Prada, and people know what it is, and, you know, you could pre-sell in a different way than when I did Avenue Q, where we took our first ad, and I think we sold $9,000 of tickets, and there's nothing scarier than buying, a at the time, a, like an $85,000 ad in the New York Times. I can't and, even imagine. And selling $9,000 on that Sunday for Avenue Q. But we believed in it, and we stuck to it, and uh, we won the Tony Award, and uh, we're still running in New York today, and we're it's probably going to go out on tour again, and yeah. it's all over the globe. When so that's exciting. When you think about exciting. your instinct about how to move rent from New York Theater Workshop to Broadway, when you look at the steps you took at the time, and again, that show, much like the shows you do, it's the concept that is the thing you're selling as opposed to The Devil Wears Prada, which is already something everyone knows about. Do you sort of produce the same way now, or are there things you do very differently now? The theater then and now, because it's all relative to the economy, basically, is in a very expensive endeavor going to the theater. And, uh, you know, I, I also want to give my, my ex-business partner, Jeffrey Seller, a lot of credit because together we were very passionate about getting uh, young people into the theater. Yeah. And we felt we needed to go to Broadway because we needed – we felt it was an epic story. And remember, it was inspired by Bohem. So it was a big story and it was beautifully written by Jonathan and we didn't have Jonathan anymore. So we had to as if what we felt – 
was best to carry Jonathan's legacy. And we had the cooperation of his family who sure. were still in mourning and we were in mourning. It healed us to do everything we could to make sure as many people remember Jonathan's name as possible. And we said, we have to go to Broadway. And there was a lot of experts who said, oh no, it's an off-Broadway show. Mm -hmm. It's very downtown. You're a big hit down there, but it's only 200 seats. You can't possibly go to a 1200 seater called the Niederlander. And we said, well, we're going to because people need to know Jonathan's voice because he's not here to share it. So it's our job as producers to make sure we can amplify his achievement in the biggest arena we can, which is Broadway for theater, for musicals at least. And we knew Jonathan was a Broadway baby. He loved Fiddler. He mm -hmm. loved West Side Story. He loved Gypsy. Um, he loved musicals. And he would say to us often, you know, I, I love musicals. My friends don't go because they don't think there are any musicals about them. Mm -hmm. So I want to write this show because Jonathan had lost a lot of friends to HIV, some from blood transfusions, some from unprotected sex, but primarily he was seeing his friends die around him and he wanted to tell their story. So Jonathan wrote a story about artists dying too young before their voices had a chance to fully be realized. And by his unfortunate death from an aortic aneurysm, because it was misdiagnosed when he went to the emergency room, he became a character in his own story. And I remember Jeffrey and I walking around Bryant Park the day we heard he died and said, okay, we have to get this show to Broadway. And we hadn't even had our first preview yet off Broadway. The reviews hadn't come out. Right. But we had our mission and it was clear. So that's why currently there is a 20-year revival that, that is going around the country that we licensed and we are cheerleading as it makes its way around the country. And it's doing better than ever because... Jonathan's work and the story of artists trying to have their voices heard against all odds is more important now, given our current political environment, than uh, it even was in 96 when we opened. Well, I want to read you something because it dovetails perfectly to what you just said. This was in the Wall Street Journal in 1996, and you may or may not remember this. Whether rent will prove to be a long-term hit among the tourists who keep big shows open for years is still a debated question on Broadway. Its subject matter is dark, an HIV-positive musician, his drug-addicted girlfriend, and their friends attempt to survive on society's fringes. I think we know the answer to that well, question. And one of the things that I've often said about rent, you know, when it first opened, people say, oh, it's about HIV. No, it's about building a family and some of the characters have HIV and they're living with, living with, not dying from disease. So a character obstacle is not what the show is about. That would like be like saying, well, Gypsy is really about narcissists. Right. Because <laughs> they both are, well, okay? It's not untrue. But, but it's not untrue, but it's not how you yeah, describe the show. Exactly. You, it's exactly. a backstage musical about Gypsy Rose Lee. Yeah. This is a musical. Rent is a musical about young people forming their families and living no day but today. It's a carpe diem, redemptive story about the power of youth changing the world through love. And we're seeing it at Parkland. We're seeing it across. I'm very encouraged by the These young, young people. people. The young, the young people win yeah. because they live in what they make. And part of what why I make musicals is I want to live in the redemptive quality where love conquers all. So there's something uncanny, I think, about your ability to choose material that is both of our time 
and completely timeless at the same time. When I look at all the work you make and all the work that is to come, what is really remarkable is that you could see the play that goes wrong 50 years ago, and you can see it 50 years from now, and you will be buckled over yourself, hysterical laughing in your... I mean, it's Chaplin, right? I mean, it has all of the great physical comedic elements that have made us laugh since before talkies. Yes. And Rent, which is exactly what you're talking about, is about creating your own community out of need and desire and love and passion. Title of show is honoring what it is to want to make something and not wait for people to let you make it. Avenue Q, I mean, talk about a timely play in terms of taking all the things that are politically incorrect and going, yep, not only is it politically incorrect, it is so in your face and holy, right? Like all mm-hmm. the things. I don't need to describe your... your I'm enjoying your, listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm finding myself all of a sudden very fascinated. <laughs> or De La Guarda. Yeah. You know, that was the first kind of fall thing. Which from the sky. I was, right. again, nonverbal. But yeah. I'll tell you what I love. Uh, I'll just give you a little sort of sort of map. Part of my job, I'm a really good audience member, mm. and I know what I'm thirsty for or what I haven't seen. In the play that goes wrong, which is currently running on Broadway, and it's a big hit in many places around the world, and we're about to go on a 45-city tour. And Lucky, it is, lucky America. It is, I have to tell you, we haven't had a play tour in the last 30 years. You either had to have a big star or win the Tony Award. Right. We did win the Tony Award for Best Set. And ever since we did, that set has been very difficult to work with. Um, but but we're taking that Tony <laughs> Award. Only green M&Ms We're in taking the that Tony room. Award winning set across yeah. America. But that's the only Tony Award we were nominated for and won. But yet we are the longest running play on Broadway. And as Cindy Adams says, the funniest. And, you know, to get Cindy Adams to laugh, uh, she's been... Uh, At it's this a, point it's more a, than It's a ever. high threshold. And yes. I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, that she finds it so funny because I do too. But again, why did I do it? The Mischief Theater Company created it in London. Who was the Mischief Theater Company? It was a bunch of kids who went to university together, mm-hmm. as they say in Britain, were theater kids. And they're now 10 years out of school. But right. they wrote it while they were in school and they were, they were friends. And they created their family to create art. So it was a privilege. You know, yes, I'm the producer on Broadway along with J.J. Abrams and the British original producers, Kenny Wax and Mark uh, Bentley. But I give those guys in London a lot of credit for producing it first. And, you know, I shepherded it to Broadway. I didn't originally produce That's it. That's right. But Which yet, is different for but you. But it filled the mission yeah. of me of getting, being an advocate to get, it was going to be difficult to get this play on Broadway. No one really knew about it. It wasn't really in vogue. It had no star. It just was good. And how am I going to penetrate this market with 41 Broadway theaters selling brand and stars sure. for a play? And we worked together to keep costs low and open and let, I felt if we just could run at a low enough cost, we could create word of mouth. Because I can't afford the advertising, but every time I do the show, if someone will pick up the phone and call a friend and say, I just laughed my whatever off Mm -hmm. at a time when our country was making a very big decision that made many people sad Laughter was a tonic we needed. And I think, um, you know, we're going to make America laugh again. And we have on Broadway and we're going to take it around the country. And and so that 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 was very powerful. And for Avenue Q, I was very aware that we spend all this money to train young people for college, get them into college. 
And then we kind of abandon them. Mm -hmm. And taking the children's television vocabulary of training your ABCs, what about your ABCs after college? How do you socialize? How do you find your community? How do you afford to live? I felt I was thirsty for that because I'm still uh, face pressed to the glass of like, where do I belong? How do I make my way? And all of us have lived on Avenue Q emotionally or physically at one time in our life when we're sort of like, how do we find ourselves in this world? So I was thirsty for these kinds of stories. And, um, and that's what I love about the theater is that it gives you a place where you don't have to be literal. You can actually, and I always say, we have to understand the DNA and why we sing. And I'm a big believer that stakes are always more important than plot in a musical because we sing to reflect who we are as spiritual, emotional, and compassionate people. I mean, compassionate animals, but that we're civilized, uh, supposedly. But that's our connective tissue on why we sing. How old are your kids? Uh, 17 and 18. And what's their relationship to musical theater? They love it. They both love it. Uh, my daughter actually is studying it at a college, a very good college. And, uh, and she's at Northwestern. And uh, my son is finishing up his junior year of high school. And we're going on colleges. And uh, he might go into film. He might go. He, he's, you know, a junior in high school. He's figuring it out. Well, I feel like just being in your presence that whatever energy and enthusiasm you had for this, there are not a lot of people who have the same excitement for their job this many years into it. A lot of people feel like, I got to go make the donuts, right? Well, I, I got to say, I, I often say my business is one where we have to make the donuts daily. So you have to keep showing up. But I'm going to go back to something you said at the beginning when you said thank you. Yeah. Um, the word is gratitude. I am so grateful. I get I'm healthy enough as somebody who lived with a parent who was dying from the age of 36 to 40. I didn't have, you know, uh, a traditional childhood. I, I, I was lucky enough to get a very good education when I was a kid at Punahou. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Barack Obama was one year ahead of me. So it was a very good school. Do you remember him? Uh, yeah, I do. Because he... I, re <laughs> I remember... Because we'd all play, like, like touch football before school and we were three grades but but what i remember actually is him being very shy and i i i i remember that because i wasn't picked up by parents or anything like that and i just remember he was kind of shy but um well you both were kids being raised by single moms, single moms without yeah. a dad yeah. coming yeah. to pick you up also mm -hmm. yeah That's and i went to over I, I i spent a lot of time at babysitters and stuff but you know again i think one of the the keys also is Punahou was a school that really celebrated the arts. So you could be good at sports, and you also could be in the school player thing. And ho the Hawaiian culture is one of pageantry and connection to the land and May Day festivals and, you know, that, then moving. And then I also moved to Chicago. I was a year behind him, but we moved the same year, I believe, in 76, because my mom passed away. And my mother was the voice of Liberty House. She was, you know, she worked for CBS and public relations. She would write a lot of the press club shows. So she was kind of in the world of Hawaii show business. So, you know, I loved baseball and I would play baseball, but then I'd also do the school plays. And Punahou was a place where you could do both. And uh, and when you got to Chicago, was there still room for that or I, was it a different culture? Because my mother passed away, I was obviously more than I realized at the time, I was just trying to survive. And my aunt and uncle who, you know, took great care of me and were wonderful and both their daughters are also uh, very successful in the arts. So uh, so we be, we're a very theatrical group and... Uh, 
as a result, we, uh, you know, I was able to play some baseball, but then the student talent show came and I, I, got, I, got, I got in it and then I got in the school play and then I realized, and also at the time, it's very much like 1976, so it wasn't cool to sing and dance. So I would get teased a lot, but because I had already gone through so much, I was like, uh, and I, I remember saying this to one, one of the football players who was teasing me that I was in the school play. I said, well, that's where the girls are, number one. And number two, that's where the most fun is. And I'm not going to break my arm. I'm going to. And he kind of laughed. And actually, when we became seniors, and I even went back for my reunions and people realized what I did for a living, a lot of them who were raising children said, you know, I never realized growing up how important the arts were. But now that I have kids, and I think about you, because you were the kid who always wanted to be in the arts. Yeah. And now I'm realizing you were so smart to do that. I wish I had done more of that rather than, you know, been on the football team only. And, um, and that was neat. And what's also neat is now it's cool again to be in music theater because, you know, it started with Star Search. But then you look at all this, so you think you can dance, the voice. It is cool to be a artist because, you know, we are celebrating talent and television is telling that story. And it used to be we only celebrated it in theaters and you had to be a theater goer. Now you can watch television and then become a theater goer. Mm -hmm. And people and artists who I've had the pleasure to work with and, and celebrate, like, you know, like, you know, Bobby Lopez and Jeff Marks and Jason Moore, who's now, you know, directed all the Pitch Perfect films. And, and of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda and all these crossover artists who started, you know, I had the, the privilege to be part of their journey to get them to Broadway and seeing how they're influencing our culture. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to share some time with them and to celebrate them. Well, and to give birth to all of those, well, I which is call remarkable it give, as a guy. I wouldn't call it giving birth because uh, there's nothing more powerful uh, or difficult than giving birth. And as I have great I respect know. for I've all women who musicals. go through it. But uh, let's just say this. I... Um, it was easy to be a fan, mm -hmm. even though they had never been on Broadway before. And if I could use my influence to help them to get to Broadway and help them make their shows come come to reality, then then I feel I've contributed. Well, Kevin McCollum, the world has so much to thank you for. And I just have to say, I can only imagine how proud your mother is of you. I think well, it must you. be an extraordinary thing to be your parent, and it would be an extraordinary thing to have you as a parent. <laughs> and you have meant so much to me personally in terms of all the things that you have brought into my life. And I'm so honored to have had you here today. And uh, here's to many, many more beautiful shows that change the world with your name on it. And oh, thank well. you. Well, your show reflects uh, an ethic I care about, which is... You, I appreciate the willingness to sort of get intimate of how it works rather than the success or lack of success is like what makes it tick. And uh, we need more of your, your sensibility on the radio and the media today. So thank you. Well, thank you. I just want to say also there are a lot of people out there who feel alone, who've lost a parent and feel like they won't have the power inside to keep going without that. And you are here to show them that you can take that legacy with you and use all of that pain and sorrow and passion and, and make beautiful art out of it. I, again, I go back to gratitude. Um, you know, choosing to be a victim feels good because there's no responsibility. Mm -hmm. Being a warrior against cynicism and realizing at times life is unfair, but that doesn't mean you have to live that way. That's, that's my message when I talk to young people about this business. 
find your passion, don't apologize for it. And, you know, contribute while you're here because a lot of us don't get as much time as we deserve. Jonathan didn't, my mother didn't, so many people. And it's those who live on. Our job is to make the world a better place. And uh, we're seeing it all around us in this time. So I have great, I'm an optimist. And uh, I'm here to encourage anyone with a passion, find the theater, find storytelling, whether it's political storytelling and you want to change the politics or, uh, or a play or a musical. And for parents whose children want to go into the arts, let them. Because if they can talk in front of a crowd, they can be our next leaders, they can run our next companies, and they can become our next president. No Deva today. <laughs> for now. Thank you, Kevin. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.